Hey, Scott. Hey, Scott. Scott. Honey, what are you doing? I'm recording the introduction to the Unknown Studio with Scott here. Honey, that's not Scott. That's a used sex doll that you found in a dumpster. Huh. Almost live from the balcony overlooking the River Valley in downtown Edmonton. This is the Unknown Studio, and I'm Adam here solo without Scott because a few about a week and a half ago, actually, Scott fell ill uh, right before we were going to record our show with comedian Trent Wilkie from Mostly Water Theater. Uh, Scott was uh, much too sick to sit down and do a, a main uh, studio interview as is typical of our show. But we do have segments that we wanted to share for you. So Scott and I sort of ruminated over when we would release this. We're hoping that he'd get better soon, and he really didn't. So that's why we're delayed. So we do want to share with you these segments that we put together for our flu show, we're going to call it, in honor uh, of Scott's unfortunate illness. And we start with one of our favorite events here in Edmonton, and that is Edmonton Story Slam. Now, we go as often as we can. We try to get there every month, but it doesn't always work out. This month, we managed to make it to the January Story Slam, uh, and, and we're glad we did because there, there wasn't a huge crowd, and there's only a few more weeks before their annual slam-off, which is where the winners of all the Story Slams over the past year come together to compete one more time for a grand prize and, of course, for bragging rights. So we heard a couple of stories that caught our attention at Story Slam in January. We wanted to share them with you. First up is a story from uh, one of the writers who goes to Story Slam fairly often, actually. A young lady by the name of Deanna shared her story with us, and here it is. Heart, soul, and mind walk into a bar. I imagine my heart, soul, and mind together in a bar. They've walked, they've walked in together like coworkers who are grouped only by happenstance and don't enjoy so much as tolerate each other's company. The trucker's lounge along Highway 2 lingers with the smell of hard liquor, desperation, and a hint of sweaty socks. There is just one waitress who is far too old for the short skirt she's wearing, and her thick eyeliner is styled right out of the 80s, when no doubt she was beautiful, before her skin was wrinkled from years of tanning beds, smoking, and hard living. Heart, soul, and mind walk directly to the bar. They've clearly been here before. Hart immediately lights a cigarette and gets a dirty look from the bartender who points to the no-smoking sign with a fat finger and an angry expression. Hart sighs and puts it out on a coaster and orders a rum and Diet Coke. Mind asks for a cappuccino, and when the bartender gives her the are-you-fucking-kidding-me look, Mind settles for a black coffee that has been in the pot for too long. Soul asks for a menu. Hart sits between the other two and turns back and forth on her bar stool, animated in her gestures. She immediately begins babbling about a man she likes, a man she loved, a man she hated, her troubled youth and how she blames it for the difficulties in love she's had. She goes on and on about how men love her and who thinks she's hot and who wants to sleep with her and who wants to take her out and who she hopes will ask her out the kind of man she wants to marry, what time of year she wants her wedding, the flowers she will have, how many bridesmaids, and what her dream wedding looks like. 
Her eyes are wide and sparkling as she talks of happily ever after and of a romance that so far has just been a dream. Mine scowls and wonders, why won't she shut the fuck up? Soul says nothing, just glances at the other two and rolls her eyes. Without the slightest warning, mine stands up and punches Hart in the nose. Hart's head snaps back and she falls from her bar stool. Soul subtly and without any patrons noticing, sticks out her foot so that Hart falls towards the bar and her head cracks a fatal blow on the mahogany, knocking her dead before she even hits the floor. Mine snickers weak and returns to sipping her coffee. The bartender who might have noticed the foot that was the culprit in this death gives Soul an annoyed glance. She reaches over the bar and grabs a steak knife and fork. She immediately jumps to the floor and methodically, with an uncanny speed and accuracy, chops, slices, divides, and devours the body of heart, leaving no trace she was ever there. Licking the last drops of blood from the handle of the knife, she returns them tidily in front of her at the bar and takes her seat. Mine looks at Sol with shock and horror, horror and stutters only, but why? Sol looks at the bartender, then gives a sideways glance at Mind and says with a steady voice, Shut the fuck up or you're next. Mind leaps from her chair, knocks over her coffee in the process, and runs out the door in fear and panic. The bartender shakes his head and begins to mop up the spilled coffee with a dirty dish rag. Sol shrugs at the bartender. They'll be back tomorrow. The bartender puts the knife and fork in the dishwasher, still shaking his head and making a sour face. You gonna order something? Soul chuckles. No, suddenly I feel rather full. You know, it would be nice if sometimes you'd let Hart win. Soul winks at the bartender and slaps $20 on the bar as she gets up to leave. Maybe tomorrow I will. Here we go. Thank you. That was Deanna sharing a story with us at Story Slam, one that she'd read before. Um, which wasn't eligible to win prizes, unfortunately, as a result, but she wanted to read it again because the crowd was willing and waiting to hear it. Now, the winner of Story Slam uh, in January was uh, Margaret McPherson, who's won before and told an original story about a bed and her husband. Here's Margaret's story. <clears throat> so last week... I purchased a new bed. My husband was planning to be away for a week and I wanted it to be a surprise. I wanted those let's see if he notices sort of things. I went to Roger's sleep shop and I lay down on the Sealy's and the beauty rests and the posturepedics and the memory foams and I was just amazed at the comfort of modern mattresses. It's called plush in the industry, madame, not soft, my plush salesman told me. You are, are you currently on an 11 or a 13 inch mattress? I'll need to know to make sure it fits your bed frame. I went dutifully home and I measured the tired old mattress we've been using since moving to Edmonton 17 years ago. Seven inches, I reported. Our current mattress is seven inches plush. He grimaced, but only slightly. A small smile played on his mouth. Oh yes, it's time for a new one. Yes, yes, yes. Are you aware you spend a third of your life sleeping? I wondered briefly about our mattress. I wondered if it had been once a wholesome 13 inches before three children and innumerable other acts had happened on that bed, beating its plushness down to a muted seven. 
Now, buying a bed is quite an intimate act. You have to lie on many beds, ma making sure your boots remain on the plastic foot portion at the bottom, and trying not to think of the thousands of other foreign heads that have been on those pillows before you. And you also have to pretend a bed is solely for sleeping. I'll take it, I cried, of the new queen-sized pillow top, 11-inch, double-coiled mattress spring proffered. What's a paltry thousand dollars when a third of your life is spent in glorious la-la land? I went home smugly, thinking of my partner's delight when I, I smuggled the new mattress into the house, disguised it in our regular old bed clothes, and he wouldn't even know. I was so tickled and excited. That night, with the sparkling new pillow top dancing through my brain, our sagging seven-inch mattress felt woefully inadequate. I could not sleep. As my spouse of 25 years lay fully engaged the aforementioned third of his life, whistling and snorting and making all these horrible sleep sounds, my mind drifted back to our first bed. He lived in Halifax, I lived in Yellowknife. 5,000 miles separated us when we decided we'd move in together. What were we going to do? We talked about it and finally decided that I should drive to the East Coast to be with my beloved. He had rented a two-bedroom apartment. It was January. I decided, okay, I'll pack up a few odds and sods, nothing as big as a bed, and I'd move myself out there to be with him. Seven days later, road-weary, disheveled, grimy, dog-tired, I arrived at the apartment he'd rented. I surveyed our new digs, brown wall-to-wall -wall carpet, beige walls, two tiny off-white rooms, a galley kitchen with a harvest gold fridge and stove, but that's... The most important thing was there. It was this man standing, beaming at me in the center of the room. I knew I had arrived. So what if he wasn't big on interior design? He showed me the four few items that he brought to the marriage. A bread knife, an ashtray, a cast iron frying pan, and strangely, a sheet, a single sheet. Because he knew I wasn't up for unpacking that night, we bundled up and went out in a Halifax blizzard to a cheerful Chinese restaurant. And when he came home, he shook the snow off his parka, fluffed it up, laid it on the floor, and tucked the sheet around the parka. Our bed was ready. And no happier camper had ever crawled into such a makeshift bed until the next morning. With the Halifax sky dark as a raven's wing and the, the wind howling around our walk-up, my soon-to-be husband nudged me gently off the softness, put the bed on his back, and walked out to catch his bus for work. It should have been a sign, and I guess in a way it was. He has continued to work providing for myself and our children all these years, bringing comfort into our lives. Things are softer now. I remember that first morning of our life together with nothing but his fitted sheet between me and the broad loom. And suddenly, our old seven-inch mattress feels downright plush compared to the coat bed of 25 years ago. The one to be delivered will be plusher still. Soft, softer, softest. I fall asleep with a smile. You can check out Story Slam the third Wednesday of every month at the Haven Social Club on Stony Plain Road at 151st Street. Do a quick Google search for Edmonton Story Slam and you'll find their website where you can find more information about the event and join their Facebook group where you'll get notifications about when the next Story Slam is taking place. Third Wednesday of every month, Scott and I both hope to see you there.
cold. <laughs> um, I suppose it was cold. Cold, really cold. I've been worse, actually. Yeah. It was minus 47, I think. It was so cold. My legs were frozen, but uh, lost feeling after a few minutes, so it wasn't that bad, I guess. But I had to walk towards a class for five minutes, and my cheeks froze off. I had frost on my nose. It was just really cold. It's really cold. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks. Welcome to Edmonton, a city. So for this month's segment, we decided to talk about something that you probably heard, haven't heard from any of your friends yet, the coldness of Edmonton and how cold it got in the last two weeks. Uh, it's something nobody else has talked about, so we're glad to bring it to you on this podcast. Yeah, I don't really understand why nobody's really talking about this. My nose was about to freeze off on the way over here, and I just felt like I was about to die. And there hasn't been a single person complaining about the cold at all anywhere in the last two weeks that I've heard of. I just don't get it. As a city, we should be complaining about this. We should be standing up for ourselves. I don't really understand how we get to this point where Mother Nature can inflict her wrath on us and we don't really talk about it at all. So we're here with CTV meteorologist and Twitter wonderkind, Josh Clausen. <laughs> That's complete with umlauts. Yes, the, you can the have the, one. I will allow the umlauts. Wonder, okay. Um, and we are here in his, uh, deep in the underbelly of CTV. Um, the atmospheric analysis area. It's kind of like a weather fortress, actually. It's, uh, it looks like something the CIA would have, where there's screens all over this the This is walls. where Dick Cheney spent his undisclosed time. <laughs> <laughs> when he went into hiding, it was it was underneath that desk right there. Really, but he uh, <laughs> um, it's quite an impressive office actually for uh, all things weather. And you yeah. were going to say for a short guy like me, right? for a short guy like <laughs> no, you, what do you need all anything. these computers for? Uh, yeah, we're here today to discuss uh, sort of Edmonton's relationship with cold weather um so i guess yeah yeah we'll, it's a love hate relationship right exactly. i mean like when it was plus 10 a week ago people were going come on where's winter what's going on this isn't wi- what's wrong with january and then all of a sudden it, you get two days of minus 20 and wind chills in the minus 40 yeah. range and everybody goes oh yeah right no no we hate winter here so now you're probably the person to ask about this but why does the weather in edmonton make no sense what do you mean it makes no sense? Well, it's it just seems to, like, for example, the, we, we didn't really have winter this year, and it just seemed very mild up until, as you and said, And then all of a sudden, week, just boom. bang. Yeah. Uh, well, what happened was, it, I mean, it's, it's a La Nina year. So going into this year, everybody was sort of predicting, oh, it's going to be, you know, the coldest winter in decades and uh, lots of snow. And in a typical La Nina year, it would be colder and a little snowier than normal for us. Now... Uh, in a La Nina year, you get a, a persistent upper trough over Western Canada and a ridge over the West. Well, this year it was completely reversed. It was a weak La Nina year, and it almost the pattern through November and December and the first half of January was almost more of an El Nino pattern, where you had a, a persistent ridge over the West, which allowed us to stay warm and dry, and it rerouted all of the systems well to the north of us, and all the cold air slid by off into Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Well, now. Uh, finally, uh, some cold air built up in the Arctic, and finally the ridge broke down, and so uh, that just came collapsing through and has sat in on top of it. Edmonton weather is—it kind of affects the fabric of our community a little bit, and we kind of 
a lot of our conversations are all centered around the weather, the way we walk around the city, the way we interact with it, the way we interact with other people when it gets really cold. How can you give a bit? Yeah, your I, thoughts to that? I, I think that's because we have four distinct seasons, right? I mean, people will joke that you get summer for a month and a half and then you have winter for the other, you know, the rest of the year. But you go to a place like California or you, you, uh, other parts of the southern United States, I mean, sure, you'll get some snow every now and then in some spots and, you know, kind of cool off. But for the most part, the weather doesn't really change that dramatically from one point of, of the year to the other. Here, you could legitimately go from plus 30, plus 32 to four months, three, four months later, all of a sudden it's minus 40, minus 45-ish with the wind chill. I mean, that's a huge difference in how, uh, in how it feels outside and how you need to, to live your life. Now, do you think Edmontonians complain about the weather too much? No! <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I uh, what I mean that's I think that's part of having weather extremes right is that you can complain about it. I think <laughs> I think maybe we worry that we complain too much. <laughs> See now I find one one thing I wanted to ask that I find kind of funny in just in the last couple of days here is it almost seems like people have this week-long span where it's like they feel they have the right to complain. And you see it everywhere, like on social media, just like between friends, like, damn, is it ever cold? Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean... then yeah. after about a week, it's like played out. It's out of style now. It's, we've all gotten used to the cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. I think we, I think we can, we've earned the right to complain about it. The nice <laughs> thing, too, is that it's a, it's a faceless entity, right? I mean... You could complain about how much the weather sucks, and nobody's really going to take offense to that. True. Except perhaps someone who likes the cold weather. Right? But there's no... Mother Nature isn't a real person. There's no one that's really actually controlling this that you can write a letter to and say, hey, I think you should change this. And maybe that's what it is, too, is that it's so futile. There's really nothing you can do to change it. You just have to deal with it. And so sometimes the best way to deal with it is just to complain about it. Now, do you ever get people complaining about the weather as a meteorologist as if you can change it? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I think most people are smart enough to realize we don't actually control the weather. I, my office, as impressive as it is right now, if I actually controlled the weather, it would be a lot more impressive. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it looks actually like you can control the weather from, uh, from this fortress of weather. Yeah, well, there are enough computers in here maybe to alter minor weather patterns, but uh, nothing on a grand, grand enough scale. Now, when it gets cold in Edmonton, there's a part of our community that is dramatically affected by it, the homeless population. Absolutely. And you've been a vocal advocate for fundraising for that campaign. And can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, we've been really fortunate with our viewers donating before we even put out the call. I mean, we've got snowbirds who, before they leave to go to Arizona, will drop off a bag of a couple hundred toques for us to take to the homeless shelters. And we get flooded every year with thousands and thousands of toques that we take out to the homeless shelters. And, I mean, it's not, we're, yeah, we're just trying to do, you know, whatever we can to help out. It's not the biggest thing in the in the world for our, for the homeless community to have uh, me come and bring toques to them. They, they you know. There, there are other people who are doing far more important things for the homeless community, but this seemed like something that, you know, several years ago was an easy thing for us to do. I got to wear a goofy toque on air, and then, you know, we would donate some toques to the homeless shelters, and it just kind of exploded, and 
uh, became hats for the homeless. And and you were just speaking about that love hate relationship. That's one of that's the focal point of our podcast is. Our love hates is the love hate relationship that Edmontonians have with their city. Yep. Why do people love and hate the weather? I don't know. Does anybody really love Edmonton weather? I think it's mostly hate based on what you see on Twitter uh, as far as the weather. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I think I don't know that it would matter where you lived. You would probably part of the year love the weather you have and hate the weather that you have, right? I mean, if you lived in God, when we went to Nicaragua a couple of years ago with World Vision, and it was like 40 degrees every day in the afternoon. Yeah. And you t- tell that to people when it's minus 45 with the wind chill, and they're like, oh, yeah, I would love that. But if you had to live in that every single day, yeah, eventually yeah. that would get a little tiring. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know that we're all that special in that uh, we have a love-hate relationship with the weather. I think everybody loves and hates their weather at times. you down Looking to move on and skip town You're looking to get lost to be found Cause back home weather's got shit down This has been Edmonton, a city. The contributors to this podcast have been Matt Hergy, John Kamach, and our producer extraordinaire, Sam Brooks. So thanks for tuning in, and stay warm, Edmonton. Don't forget your long johns. Do you have anything else? Um, it uh, will pass. It <laughs> will pass. This is Adam coming to you almost live from the office of the Edmonton Journal's new blogger in residence. In fact, the Edmonton Journal's first ever blogger in residence, Mr. Alex Abood. Thank you for chatting with me today, Alex. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show, Adam. So the blogger in residence program with the Journal, brand new concept, um, and you've been blogging in Edmonton for how long now? Um, on and off for probably about five and a half no, almost actually since 2005 was when we started our first blog, which was about sports. Which sports specifically? All of them? Yeah, we used to. There's a group of us wrote a blog uh, called Sports Matters, which uh, used to cover everything hockey, a lot of baseball, just whatever struck our interest. And we did that for a couple of years. And then I've had my own site consistently since about 2009. And on this, on your own site, which is alexabood.com, and that last name is A-B-B-O-U-D, right? Yes. What is What are you blogging about at alexabood.com right now? Uh, mostly I write about cities and urban issues, uh, focusing both on Edmonton, um, sort of Edmonton-specific stuff, but also just a lot about uh, theory or things that different cities are doing. Um, I've had the opportunity to travel a lot, and so I write a lot about what I've learned from, you know, what different programs or things that are happening in cities across North America. And then just whatever, you know, that's the main focus. And I'll still write about other other topics that strike my interest at a given time. And lately you've been, you started a series, I think, 
correct me if I'm wrong, just after Christmas, all about Jasper Avenue in downtown Edmonton. What are you? What are your goals in writing about the downtown core? Uh, it's kind of a, a work in progress, um, both my series and downtown itself. Uh, I mean, I, my my interest was uh, primarily. I mean, I'm a I work downtown, and I'm for all intents and purposes a downtown resident. Technically, I live in Oliver, just to the west, but you know that's not a physical boundary in any sense. And it's uh, you know I feel passionate about urban environments, and I see a lot of good things happening in our downtown. And I think especially the the fact that there's interest from citizens, uh, decision makers, funders in, uh, you know, seeing improvement happen in the downtown. But it's also the recognition that, you know, not every decision has a positive impact on a community. And I just, you know, I want to, you know, contribute my ideas and my perspective on what I think, you know, will uh, will lead to the best results from downtown and focusing both on sort of the challenges the community faces, but also the positive things that are happening, of which there are many. Um, I mean, one of the things I believe I said in the first post was that I, you know, when I moved back to Edmonton in 2006, I, you know, I knew some about downtown, but it was definitely not my pr the my first choice for where where I would live. And now I can't imagine, you know, given what's happening, given where I am in my life, you know, living in any other area. Yeah. So just, and that's in large part, you know, some of it's just, I've spent more time here. I've worked downtown since 2006 and got to see it more on a day-to-day -day basis. But a lot of that credit goes to a lot of the business owners and community leaders who have invested their time and money and efforts in, you know, bringing in more activity to the downtown area. Now, part of that activity, as we all know, is the fact that the Edmonton Journal's uh, offices are located on uh, 101st Street, and they recently launched their blogger-in-residence call for submissions. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the blogger-in-residence program is all about at the Edmonton Journal and how you heard about it? Uh, I think I, I saw somebody tweet about it. I don't remember exactly how, exactly how or where I saw it uh, posted. Uh, the program, so it's a six-week appointment, and there'll be two, a, couple, a couple of different functions. I'll be uh, spending about three hours a week at the journal and will be available as a resource to their staff. Uh, a lot, uh, so, you know, the journal actually has a really, has a really strong online presence as far as, uh, as uh, newspapers go. A number of their staff are already blogging. Um, so what it's uh, providing... A, resource and support to them if they have questions or want to sort of enhance their online presence and just answering questions about of any other staff somebody's interested in learning more about what they can do uh, and then doing some workshops for the staff and for their community volunteers involved in the bridge um, and then um, just writing about my experience for their site as well so it's in some roles or in some cases you're you're a trainer and then uh, a meta blogger talking about your experiences training the staff at the Edmonton Journal. Well, yes, and that's actually one of the things that interested me the most is that I've never actually spent significant time in a newsroom. I don't have a media background or journalism background. Uh, and, you know, it's a lot of what I think about, and, you know, I've been engaged, I follow the media, I've been engaged in you know, in I've worked with the media and that on sort of the PR communication side. It's just I don't know a lot about newsrooms, and I saw this as an opportunity to learn. And certainly, I think 
it's an interesting time because there it's a format that's going through a transition and i think you know i think we're moving towards sort of less of sort of the pure business model and more of a hybrid with involving and engaging the community in a greater way and i think that's sort of one of the things i want to look at is what are the opportunities or what what happens in a newsroom and what how can it better connect to the community and engage you know a broader number of voices and that was one of the things I was hope I hope to give back is to encourage or you know give support to people who might be interested but don't know if it's for them or how they can get started or how they can sort of contribute their opinions online. Yeah. Now, what kind of hoops did you actually have to jump through to uh, to land the position? Well, they uh, had asked everyone to just express their interest and. Uh, it was basically asking a couple of questions about, you know, what's your experience? What do you basically put together a proposal? Like what interests you in this? What would you like to do? And then their editorial staff made a decision based on that. So, And your current employer is cool with you spending a few hours a week uh, down at the journal teaching people the world of blogging? Um, I sure hope so. <laughs> That's no, great. I'm, I, 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 I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, they're they're very supportive of that, and we discussed it beforehand. So, yeah, and I think you know it'll be it'll be it'll be good learning experience for me as well. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, we're looking forward to seeing exactly what you crank out, Alex. Thank you very much for speaking to us today. Great. Thanks, Adam. Always a pleasure. You've been listening to the Unknown Studio Flu episode, the one that excludes my dear co-host, Scott. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media, and you can find us online at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.